Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So now if you're just joining us uh, this week or if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we're in a sermon series titled, What's in a Name? After Shakespeare's saying, what's in a name? You know, a rose by any other name would smell just as good. But like I pointed out to Mel, I think, is it 30,000 different kinds of roses? There's a zillion different kinds of roses. So if you walked in the flower shop and said, I want a rose, you know, we'd have to get a little more specific like that. So that's why we're studying the names of God. That's what we're doing in this series. And I know what you're thinking, um, and some of you actually asked me this. Isn't God God's name? And I say, well, yes, but um, it's important for us to study and learn uh, the names that God uses to reveal his attributes to us. Uh, because it's, it's vital as a Christian that we have a, a full, uh, a complete, such as it is, a complete understanding that the names of, that God uses in his words to reflect and describe every asset of his, um, every aspect of his nature and character. And I, I present to you this, the main reason why so many Christians have trouble putting their trust in God or having, have trouble trusting God um, not only with the big issues, but with the small details, the seemingly insignificant details of life. The reason people turn away from God rather than turning to God, the reason they have trouble trusting him is when you know, we peel away the facade that we kind of hide behind sometimes. Um, the truth is we have very little knowledge of who God is. We have very little knowledge of who God is to each and every one of us on an individual and on a personal level. Now, before you leave and get offended at a bold statement like that, because I basically just told you you don't really know the creator of the universe. I'm going to stand behind that. Um, but at the same time, I'm trusting and understanding that you do have a working knowledge um, of your relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but my question is, do we have a full understanding of, of who God is and how he works with his children in their lives, in our lives? The names that God uses throughout the Bible reveal literally hundreds of different ways that we should know him and ways that we should look for him to work and live in our lives. That's why we can see very clear statements. What have I told you? And this is the language I'm trying to get you to understand that when God wants us to know something, he speaks to us with clarity, with certainty. He lays it out there. I, I always use the, not to pick on third graders, but I use the third grade mentality. If I can show this to a third grader and ask them to tell me what it means, that's how God speaks to us when he really wants us to understand things. Clear, concise statements of, instru excuse me, of instructions and of promises. <clears throat> One of those places in Psalm 9, uh, verse 10. It says simply this, those who know your name will put their trust in you. Why do we have trouble trusting God? Why do we not trust? Well, maybe we don't know his name. Maybe we don't know who God is and what makes him up and what he's all about. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Emphasizing here that knowledge will result in confidence. Right? Knowledge will result in confidence in the name of the Lord. The rest, you know, the result is, is complete trust in him for every detail of our lives your life as it relates to the life of a child of God. So could it be that the main reason why so many people are struggling in trusting God is that they really don't know who they're trusting? We say God, right? I'm not saying we don't talk the talk. You know, we say trust God. That's the, I call it the trust God theology. It's right up there next to the love Jesus theology, right? It's always the answer, right? Love Jesus, that's always the answer. But 
What do I mean by the trust God theology? Well, um, we say that to people. Just, just trust, right? That's our advice to people going through um, a difficult time. Um, those who are dealing with a loss right now or one in the past that still stings a little bit. Someone facing an illness. Someone facing a, a hardship um, in their lives. And we say, oh, just trust God. Have a good day. And now, I'm not saying that that's the wrong answer because ultimately that is the right answer. But how do we get to that point, right? How do we get to that point of actually trusting God? And then another question, is that your first response when you were facing a difficult time? Or do the words trust God, is that kind of a, a do as I say and not as I do mentality? Do as I say, just trust God, but not as I do because I don't always do that. Because when we tell people to, to just trust God, right, we have to do it through the lens um, and the focus, the vision that we talked about, I think, last week with A.W. Tozer's quote. Look at this A.W. Tozer quote. The more I read this, the more I'm living into it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The other thing we have to keep in mind, or at least think about, when it comes to that other person and we're giving them the advice of just, just trust God, we got to think about what comes into their mind when they think about God. What comes into their mind when they think about God? Because I'll say this again, Christians have differing views of God. I mean, there's no getting around that. And if you don't understand it, this is what I'm talking about. You know, when Christians use the word God, um, unfortunately, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of fogginess and ambiguity to that. When we say God. And on the other side of it, though, we all just assume that we have the same views, the same beliefs, the same values, the same ideas until we start talking about it and we start unpacking it a little bit, start talking about details, and we realize, hmm, we're not even close here. Like I said last week, um, when I said that kid was drawing a picture of God, right? I said, if I had you all draw a picture of God, or if I all ha had you all write a statement about God, two things are going to happen. One is when we write it down first, it's going to be very general, very abstract, almost. But then when I press you for details, that's when the differences are going to start. If I press you for details to write a description about God, we would have as many different descriptions about God as we have different personalities and different people in this room. It's important for us to remember that. Again, it's just drastically different, our views of God. What we, he thinks about us, you know, Tozer said it, you know, the most important thing about us is how we identify. You know, how do you identify with God when you're talking with someone else, a Christian or a non-Christian? People constantly ask me this question. You know, what do I say to a, a non-Christian that's not coming to church? And I want them to bring their kids to Sunday school and things like, you know, I'm like, it, it kind of depends. You know, that's not something we cover in seminary. It's not saying, here's your magic bullet, now just go out there and tell everybody this and it's going to work. Because everybody's different. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. I mean you. How you answer that person who says you're trying to get to come to church, how you talk to that person is going to be based on what you think about when you think about God, what comes to your mind when you think about God. That's how you're going to talk to that person. And no matter what you say, the way that person's going to hear you and perceive you is based on what, they, what comes to their mind, what they think about when they think about God, what comes to their mind when they think about God. Maybe it's a believer going through a difficult time. What do you say for that, right? What do you say to that person? Like I said, you're not really ready for that because your answer is going to be based on that question that I keep posing to you. What comes to your mind when you think about God? That's why we say it's the most important thing about you. 
It has to do with everything. Not only your relationship with God, but your evangelism techniques. Right? How do you go about? How do you bring God out into the world? That's based on what you think about God, what comes to your mind when you think about God. All of that is based on your thoughts about God. So now, again, I ask you this. What are your thoughts about God based on? What are your thoughts about God based on? And since you're allowing me, you haven't left yet, allow me to be a little um, raw and honest with you this morning. Stay with me for a few minutes because the next thing I'm going to say has some complexity and some levels to it. Um, since Christians have different what we call denominations, right? We've got different synods within the Lutheran church itself, but we've got different denominations. We have Catholic, we have Lutheran, we have Methodist, we have Episcopalian, we have Baptist, we have Anabaptists, we have Presbyterians, Pentecostals, right? Where do they come to their views? We all have different views about God. If you don't, just sit down and talk to somebody from one of those other denominations sometime. And I'm not naming names, I'm just saying, just talk to somebody. So I submit to you this question, what are our answers about God's words, what are, they, what are they based on? I'm sorry, maybe I should say it this way. Are they based on God's words, our answers, our thoughts about God? So that's what this series is all about. That's what we're trying to unpack here. Looking and seeing God revealing himself to us. And like anything else we do, right? Anything else we enjoy doing in life, it's going to take a little bit of effort to understand it completely. Think about anything else you enjoy doing, and I'll bet you put time, effort, maybe even money into that. How many people are boiling maple sap right now? Talk about time and effort, right? I mean, and you got to put some cash into that, too. So there's a whole thing going on in that adventure. Time and effort. It's the same thing when we learn about God. Somehow we think we're just going to get it by osmosis. Somehow we just think just by, you know, showing up every once in a while or something, that it's all going to come to us and we're all going to have that, Right? And we're all going to be able to live in Psalm 9, verse 10, that says, those who know your name will put their trust in you. Well, it doesn't work quite like that. It takes a little bit of work. It takes a little blood, sweat, and tear. But I'm telling you this. When we're looking at uh, trying to learn about the name of God, there's a, there's a prize. There's this pot of gold at the end of that rainbow that we're looking at and we're working our way through. And it's my goal that by the time we get to the end of this series, and I have no idea when that's going to be, but when we get to the end of this series, you'll not only have a deeper understanding... <laughs> I really don't. I'm just being raw and honest this morning. But it's my goal that you'll have a deeper understanding of God and an understanding based, based on his words. And the way we're going to do that, we're going to take some dictionary terms of the words he uses. And he, we're finding that he uses them on purpose. Last week, we looked at, not chronologically, we, we looked at the word that God uses to define himself the most. Right? And that's Yahweh or Yehovah. Yehovah, right? We've learned that those are the same words. That's the name that God revealed to us uh, through his conversation with Moses and, the, and through the burning bush, right? Yehovah, the existing one. God said to, Noah, uh, to Moses, go and tell them, I am sent you. And that literally means the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Time doesn't matter to God. That's the one that I want you to tell, that sent, say that's the one that sent you who was and is and is to come, the existing one. This morning, I want to I back up a bit, both in time and in pages of the Bible, and look at the first word that God uses to define himself. And I want us, just like we did last week, I want us to own this definition. 
I want us to walk out of here with some words working in our minds so that when that A.W. Tozer quote comes up next week or whenever it comes up again, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Here are some things that should come to your mind when you think about God. That's what we're going to talk about next. That's what we talked about last week, the existing one, one who is and is to come. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to feed some things into your mind, not from my brain, but from God's word. Words that he uses to describe himself. So when we think about God and we say that word, there's less ambiguity to it, at least for us right now. Because we're basing what we're saying and what we're thinking on God's words. So where does the first reference to God show up in the Bible? Donna read it here, it seems like 45 minutes ago now, but it's just a minute ago, right? This is how God introduces himself in Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God. This is the word Elohim. Probably heard that before. This is the word Elohim. God created the heavens and the earth. Right? And it's really, it's, God is really the second word because in the beginning is, in Hebrew, it's one word. Beginning, God. Right? Created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word we're looking for, again, is uh, Elohim. I think we got a, a colorful slide that helps us look at that a little bit. And it already starts to define, in dictionary terms, what Elohim actually means. All-powerful, right? The all-powerful creator of the universe. That's what he tells us. He interacts with us, right? Um, this, again, this name usually refers to God the creator. You know, when we talk, we uh, say the, the, um, the Apostles' Creed, right? I believe in God the Father. That's Elohim. I believe in Elohim, creator of heaven and earth. That's who God is. But he doesn't stop there with that definition. His name usually comes up with that, but it talks about the way that God interacts with his creation. And when we talk about Elohim, we talk about God, and by the way, anytime you see um, capital G-O-D in your Bible, it's usually Elohim. Almost, I would say, 98% of the time, it's, it's being translated from Elohim in your Bible in the Old Testament. And it means the all-powerful creator of the universe. Okay, so what does he tell us? What, is, what else does Elohim tell us? Elohim tells us that God knows all. Elohim tells us that God created everything. And it also tells us, this is where we get that God is everywhere at all times. God is all-powerful. He creates all. He knows everything. He's everywhere at all times. And when we start looking at it that way, we start reading the Bible that way, we start thinking about God that way, when we read just these um, somewhat kind of pedestrian or passive little verses, all of a sudden this should just start jumping out at us about God being the creator, about God being the all-powerful one. Look at Joshua 1.9. This kind of ties into what we were talking about last week as well. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? What's the command? I'm sorry, what's the command? Be strong and courageous. Right, have I not commanded you? Right, there's your strong. Be strong and courageous. There's your command. He goes on. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, your Elohim, is with you wherever you go. The existing one, the creator, is with you wherever you go. Now this next part is going to sound like Trinity Sunday, but I'm setting up the rest of it there as we're coming into it. Elohim is, is a plural word. It's a plural noun. 
Uh, it's the plural form of Eloach. I'm not, I don't spit enough to pronounce Hebrew well. Eloach. And it points us directly, since it's, um, it's plural, it points us directly to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he says it in the second word of the Bible. Right? The second word of the Bible. And you know um, how I'm always saying that when God wants us to know something, he speaks to us with clarity and with certainty. Well, sometimes we have to look beyond the verse that's in front of us. We've got to take a couple of other ideas in. For example, um, there are those who will say that since we um, celebrated Trinity, that we're actually uh, worshiping three gods. And I'm saying, well, open your eyes a little bit. And they'll say back to me, well, I have opened my eyes, and I'm going to show you this verse, they'll say to me. Look at Deuteronomy 6.4. This is part of the Shema. This is something that the, the uh, Jews say uh, three times a day. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, right? The Lord is our Elohim. The Yehovah is one, right? The word one here in Hebrew is a very unique word. We don't have a word like this in English. It's the echad. And it means, it means one, but um, it, it means plural. Like, it's a unique word. Again, we don't have the, a parallel word to it, but it's referring to, like, an army of a thousand people fighting as one. So you've got soldiers, you've got cavalry, you've got archers, you've got all these people fighting, but at one goal, one, one, one aim. And that's the first thing that God wants us to know about him. That's the first thing that God wants to know about him, or wants us to know about him. It's the second word of the Bible in Hebrew. So we have to know, A, that he is a creator God. Right? He is your creator. That's the first thing that he wants you to know. And he wants you to know that it's a part of the Trinity. But the Trinity is one. So he puts these words in here. Again, we just got to take a look at them. If we step, step back and take a look at these things and kind of put them together in a piece of puzzle, it's like, wow, this is amazing how well, this all comes together. And that creator, Elohim, means that he's looking for a relationship with you. Why do we say that God is looking for a relationship with us? Because he tells us that in the word Elohim. And he says he's not going to tire. He is, he is not only our creator God, he is a compassionate God, is what Elohim tells us. He is a compassionate God. I want you to look at Isaiah 40, a couple verses, 28 and 29. Again, Isaiah asking, have you not heard? Have you not understood? The Lord, Yahweh, you with me? Is the everlasting Elohim. The creator of all the earth. It's almost redundant here. This almost reads like a, one of the Psalms. It tells us something and it tells us again. The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of all the earth. Just in case we didn't get it. Have you not heard? Have you never understood? Right? Yahweh. The creator of the world. Elohim. Creator of the world. He never grows weak. Never grows weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power. There's a promise. To the weak. And strength to the powerless. Who's our compassionate God? He's the one that gives the power to the weak. Strength to the powerless. He's the one that created us. He's the one that will never grow weary. He's the one that we can't measure his depth. But Elohim doesn't just create and vacate. Right? There's my military buds. We used to have that a joke in the military. Delegate and vacate. That's not what God does here. God doesn't leave us. He stays with his creation. He sustains his creation. He, su he sustains those he's created. 
How do we know that? Because not only is he a creator God, he's a compassionate God, he's our covenant God. He's our covenant God. Elohim makes a pledge and a promise that he always keeps. He makes pledges and promises that he always keeps. And every covenant he makes, every covenant he makes is for two things, for our good and for his glory. The covenants he makes are for our good and for his glory. What comes to your mind when you think about God? Elohim created you for his glory. That's what the definition says. Elohim created you for his glory. Elohim sustains you for his glory. So this morning I ask you, after this conversation, do you know God as your Elohim? Okay, you've got one. You're dismissed. The rest of you got to stay here. Do you know God as your Elohim? Do you know God as your creator? Do you know God as your sustainer? That's his definition, not our definition. That's God's definition. What comes to your mind when you think about God is this, this the mighty God, this creator God, the sustainer God, the sovereign God, who loves you and created you on purpose, created you on purpose for a purpose. He's given you a purpose. And that purpose goes back to Psalm 910, to know his name so that we can put our trust in him and know what we're putting our trust in. Not some abstract thought, not somebody else's thought, not somebody else's ideas. And why is it that we have so many different ideas about God when we really start talking about him? Eh, It's kind of like a thing that we're just going to pick up somewhere along the line. No, let's see what he says about it. And let's start owning that and start living into that. Let's start finding him and to know him and to know his son who's there for you. I'm going to leave you with Isaiah 41.10. What comes to your mind when you think about God? So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I'm your God. Here's the promises. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the definition of Isaiah 41.10, of our God, Elohim. What comes to your mind when you think about God? To be continued. Please stand with me. And let's confess what we believe.